Welcome to the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. Whether you're a student, a graduate, or an early career advisor, join us as we dive into the ins and outs of becoming a financial planner. I'm your host, Azaria Bell, bringing you tips from the experts on career strategy, sanity, and success. Today's episode is focused on being confident in your interactions with clients. I'll be joined by Fran Hughes, an award-winning certified financial planner and business owner with over 30 years experience in financial services. She is a well-respected active member of the community as the FBA chapter chair in Western Australia, Future 2 Foundation ambassador and finance columnist for the West Australian newspaper. We discuss how to overcome fears around being young or having limited experience, presentation and body language tips, overcoming nerves, having a strong phone and email manner, reinforcing positive self-talk and the importance of a great mentor. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey Fran, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be chatting about how to have confidence with clients when you're new to the industry. And for those who maybe haven't had the opportunity yet to meet you, Fran, could you talk us through a little bit about what you do and your career journey so far? Well, let me see. Uh, I started back in, would you believe, November 1987. I know it was a while ago and <laughs> lots has changed since then. But since then, look, the, the, this profession has been so rewarding. I've gone on to build two businesses of my own, um, gone on to serve seven years as the West Australian chapter chair, gone on to, to become the future to um, a foundation ambassador here in Perth as well. And for the, for the most part, the most rewarding is actually seeing clients achieve their retirement goals, the ones that I've been meeting over the last 20 years today. My biggest challenge is actually figuring out where in the world they are today, whether they are on a cruise or holidaying somewhere, you know, far and beyond. Oh, that's wonderful. And you said that you started out in 1987, things were obviously quite different, but I imagine the core principles of speaking with clients, being confident, um, and all of those kind of things were much the same as now. So can you talk us through how you felt when you first entered the industry and how you maybe conquered some of those initial nerves that you might have experienced? Well, I guess like any young graduate, uh, I was no different. You see, my story kind of started when I was 19 years of age and I went straight from high school to working in, like back, back in the day, it was more insurance endowments, it was the old life insurance, the whole of life, you've ever come across those. Um, and also I did a little bit of stockbroking. Now, we got to remember back in the 80s, I was surrounded by a lot of, you know, uh, Wall Street type characters. If, you, if you've ever seen the movie, Wolf of Wall Street, not quite mm -hmm. that in Perth, but similar <laughs> to it. And what I did find back then was what I lacked in confidence, um, I, I really picked up from the guys around me. And I, they took me on, and this, this was a group of young executives who'd been around for many, many years, and they took me on as kind of their youngest sister. So as a 19-year-old, I was surrounded by, you know, mid-20s to, to early 30-something-year-olds who really kind of took me, on, took them, took me under their wing. Amazing. And when you were first meeting with those clients, how did you feel and how did you deal with being so young? Because I remember when I first started the industry, that was my 
concern too was that I was by far the youngest person in the room and I thought how's anyone going to take me seriously when I don't have half of the life experience these people have how do you kind of mentally overcome that thought process well when I think back to many a times uh, no I've been nervous and there have been times where I wonder if I will too would be taken seriously Mm. whether it is for the first time I stepped into into a boardroom um, surrounded by my males who were 10 to 12 years older than I was or walking into a a client meeting with senior clients sitting in front of me what I would say here is that it doesn't really matter because there is a famous quote by Teddy Roosevelt he's the 26th U.S. president and he says nobody cares how much you know until they know you care Mm. And it's at this point in time, coming back to to a framework that I've uh, built for myself time and time again, and it's what I could refer to as the ABC framework. And the first thing for the A is ask, be really, really curious about the person in front of you and ask as many questions. Just like a new friend that you've met for the first time, you want to know everything about them from what, what they like, what they dislike, what are some of the goals, what, is it, what are their aspirations. Just be really, really curious. And number two is be bold. Now, what I mean by being bold is do your research, come up with various solutions to their problems and be bold with coming up with ideas. And the C in the ABC framework is about demonstrating your credibility. Now, you ask the question, how can I demonstrate my credibility when I haven't really got that life experience? But But you know, everyone's got life experience to a certain extent. Whether you're a 21-year-old, 56-year-old, you've got that life experience just taken you to that stage in your life. Mm -hmm. And by sharing life experience through stories and the power of stories is that that's how you connect and how that's how you build rapport. Now, I think back when I was um, 14 years of age, and by the way, that was my first experience into stepping to what we now know is a financial plan. Because mm-hmm. at the age of 14, uh, you see, I'm the youngest of six kids. And my parents said to me at that point in time, Fran, look, we, we've, we've run out of money. We mm-hmm. really can no longer send you to the Catholic school that I'd come to love and then the friends that I'd come to know. And we really have to pull you out of that school. So what did I know? Like, you know, I'm only 14. What life experience do I have at this point in time? What I did know was I was an A student in maths. So one plus one equals two. That can't be hard. Um, (laughs) I did did learn at that point in time how to build out kind of spreadsheets and how to use the accounting debits versus credits to kind of build out a framework. So what I did as a 14-year-old is to work out, well, how much do I need to fund those school fees? And if I got paid X, Y, and Z per hour as a, you know, a checkout chick at Coles, how many hours would I need to work in order to fund the school fees and get me through to high school? What I didn't know at that point in time was I was building out a financial plan. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I'm glad to report that, yes, that that particular, you know, uh, spreading, uh, setting out the whole plan and a spreadsheet got me through high school. I funded my own school fees. And to this day, you know, I attribute to that very knowledge piece back in the day. And I've gone on to build two award-winning financial planning firms. And, uh, and yeah, I, I look at it from time to time that that's the go-to that I use. Yeah, that's amazing. So you obviously had the the foundations of a great financial planner early on. Did you know about financial planning at that point? How did you find a role as a financial planner? Well, this is going back to the 80s. You know, 80s was the the time of the national mutuals, time of the whole of life. So that wasn't really the term financial planner back in the mm. day. Now, mm. with the introduction of Super Guarantee 1992 by the then Treasurer, um, Paul Keating, that's really exploded our profession as we know of what it is today. And so what I didn't realise was, you know, maths plays a, an amazing part in what we do as financial planners. But what I've also gone to, to learn is my life experience is, is all about stories and connecting with clients through stories. And for every client that comes through that door, funny enough, I see them as my own mum and dad. That, told, mm. that couldn't afford to send me to high school. What is the problem I want to solve for that client walking through that door? Yeah, that's an amazing way of approaching it. And there's a few questions that I want to touch on in regards to that. But the first thing I wanted to ask is for someone who is finishing up university and maybe has had retail experience in the past and this is their first time stepping into the office environment, how do you dress? How, how does the way that you dress impact your um impression on clients there I would say be yourself you know you know the wonderful thing about COVID and working <laughs> from home how many times have you heard where you're having you're having a zoom meeting and someone's dressed from the waist up you have yeah. no idea what they're dressed <laughs> from the waist down definitely <laughs> you know pe people connect with people at their true authentic self and what mm. I would say to you that the three elements when I work with in, in this space in that one how you dress gives you that self-confidence so be mm. yourself at the starting point the second part taking into account the the firm that you're working with and what is their culture what is their mm. what are their values and and certainly address accordingly to what they're that the firm needs you to dress professionally. The mm -hmm. third one and the most important one here is dress at the client's level. So what I mean by that, if you're working with a client who say is a small business owner, now I'm working, I do work in an accounting firm. I'm the head mm -hmm. of wealth management here at Nexia. Perth Nexia is the eighth largest global accounting network. And when I work with, with clients who own businesses, well, We've, you've got to dress according to also their level. Mm -hmm. So if they're coming in as a suit, guess what? I, I, I dress in, in a suit. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going out to see them at their, their office or their workplace, and then we've got clients who are also manufacturers, manufacturers who are, you know, blue-collar workers, who are, are consultants also who work from home, well, I dress accordingly depending mm. on the environment and the meeting place that we're, we've uh, agreed to. Yeah, that's a really good tip. And I think it's really good that you've mentioned just dressing in a way that makes you feel confident because when I was working in an office, I would put on makeup, put on my dress, put on heels. And I know that I didn't need to do that, but it made me feel powerful. And that translated when I was sitting there down with the clients. So really, really good advice there for sure. 
And then aside from physical appearance, what are some ways that you can present yourself as confident? So if you're talking about things like posture, eye contact, crossing arms, handshakes, all of those body language cues, what are some tips there in regards to appearing as confident with those clients? That's a great question. Did you know that people also uh, um, people also take on a perception of you within the first few seconds of meeting you? Wow. And so what that is, is it's only less than 20% comes from your words mm-hmm. and more than 80% comes from your body language. Body language plays such an important part in either building rapport or building up a, a wall or, you know, really sort of transcending what you're trying to relay. So mm-hmm. as far as posture, if you, if you have a, so, so here is, is a framework. So if, if you have a serious uh, thing to say to a client, you have a, the ability to slow down mm-hmm. your voice, go a little deeper, and pause. Isn't it mm. amazing how mm. you've le- just, just then you've it leaned in. The tone. Yeah. <laughs> you've leaned and go, is that she got she got something really important to say? Yeah. And that tonality really helps with really getting the attention of the client. Now, if you want to be then really jovial and, and you know start talking about something really social, uh, then you then you lighten up the atmosphere with going a little bit higher, you know, mm-hmm. changing the pace of your, your voice. And also eye contact is important. By the way, you don't want to stare at someone and not blink because that would yeah. probably be <laughs> the way the way I look at it is is if you were if you're talking to a friend if you were talking to someone you you respect then that's how you should speak to a client mm-hmm. now if a client comes uh, you know if a client's also tonality and the, and the way they they absorb information is one where they're a little bit more casual and you know don't bore me with the details. Just yeah. give me the big picture. <laughs> well, t- take the cue and start thinking through, you know, how do I communicate to this client and at the level that they understand? And it all mm-hmm. comes back to your posture. Now, posture is such that if you're confident, you will be quite confident in the way you present your, your whole body. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're being really social, well, you know, you kind of can lean back a little bit. But remember, at all times, you are still the advisor. So mm-hmm. you take on that level of authority as far as advising a client. And that's what they're going to see and want to see as far as the confidence in the information that you're relaying to them. Yeah, really, really good tips there. And you were talking about communicating with the client. And one thing that I really um, experienced quite a lot when I was starting out was that I would be joining these client meetings, maybe I was there taking notes um, and a client would ask a question and I would just be terrified. Even if I knew the answer, I'd just be so scared of a client asking me a question that I wouldn't know the answer to. And I felt like I'd look like I was a fool if I got it wrong. So how do you deal with that fear of clients maybe asking you a question that you haven't yet had to tackle before? Yeah, that's a great question. My, My encouragement to you is that this is a collaboration. And and what I mean by collaboration is that before you go into a meeting, look to prepare for what you intend to have in an outcome of that meeting. And And by preparing for the meeting, if you collaborate with others that might be a bit more senior than you or a bit more uh, have a different expertise than you, then you, that would really bring a lot of value into, into that meeting for the client. And mm-hmm. you don't have to feel like 
okay, actually, I don't have all the answers. And by the way, even at my age and even at my experience, I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally upfront and honest with the clients to say, look, I don't have I don't have that answer right now, but I will look into it for you and I'll come back to you uh, in, in a period of time with the answer. So one one avenue of thought might be is to taking on the role of the sole expert, but sharing it. So what, they, what that means is here in particular at Nixia Perth is that we've got accountants, we've got uh, tax specialists, we've got a self-managed superfund specialist, we've got the financial planner, we've got the mortgage broker. Have you heard in, in this spectrum of financial planning that sometimes as financial planners, we are what we refer to as lead advisors? Mm-hmm. That that we we contr- we certainly lead the conversation, but there are things that we can't do. For example, we do, we can't really draw up a will, so we bring in the expertise of a lawyer. We can't mm-hmm. really write mortgages, so we bring in the expertise of a mortgage broker. And similarly, we can't do tax returns. So coming back to thinking through, do you have the answer? Are you the only person in in the room? By preparing for a meeting and bringing in some experts, and also leading in to the the, the context of the, the, um, the meeting, you're able to do more than just if it was yourself. Now, I, I, there's a way I, I do it with, with my graduate as well. She's amazing, by the way, and I'm mm-hmm. so fortunate to have her on the team. But what we do is we, we, she does a lot of the background work. So mm-hmm. similar to yourself, I have no doubt that you know so much about the client even before they come into that meeting. For sure, yeah. <laughs> Whether it's their kids, how much they earn and how old they are. So you've got all these contacts already in your mind. And so what I do is I, I say to my grad is, okay, so what we're going to do here is we're going uh, to start talking about the their overall position and where they're heading to and then just talk through around the investments and so forth but I'm going to throw it to you at at a point in time so just watch my lead because I really want the clients to get to know you and so when I start off the meeting I would introduce my grad as part of the team and um, and why she's there and her role in the meeting so that clients are quite comfortable with that so once Mm -hmm. again it's, it's a collaboration and at the particular point in time, I will throw the, the meeting to her because I would say something like this. Just as I'm in a meeting like this with you, there are times that I, I can't be contacted. Um, so Avril's amazing. My goodness, I did say her name. My apologies. <laughs> but she's amazing. Yeah, that's Avril. <laughs> <laughs> so she's amazing. And she's going to be the one that's going to guide you through the whole process from for statement advice right through to implementation. Oh, and awesome. now gives her a, little, a lot more credibility in this space. Yeah, that's really valuable. And I think you probably agree also that when you get those questions you don't know the answer to, a client's going to respect a simple, I'm actually not too sure and I'm going to get back to you on that rather than coming up with an answer that you've just made up and and appearing really unconfident. So I think that's a really good point. And one of the things that I've learned from, from my grad is that, and I've heard this time and time again, and by the way, you know, as new grads, there's so much that we as experienced advisors can learn from you because mm-hmm. you, you're the next wave of, wave of, of leaders and the wave, next wave of advisors. So one of the things I do hear from her time and time again is that she might say to, that, to the exact point that you've mentioned, uh, 
look, I, I, I'm, on, I, I'm only kind of six months out of gradu <laughs> having graduated. I don't have that answer for you, but I'm sure Fran's got the answer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get that answer for you, come back to you within a day, and then we can solve this problem together. Perfect. I love that she ha she knows that she has your backup on everything and that the clients know that although she's a graduate and she's new, everything that she's doing is going to be going through you. And I think that can probably really give her the confidence and, and give the clients that confidence as well. So that's an awesome setup for sure. And what are some of the things that a grad can do during a meeting to be useful instead of just sitting there and watching, which of course is really valuable. You learn so much in that process. Are there any little things that a, um, a graduate or an associate can do to assist the advisor or assist the client in those meetings? Well, can I say that you nev never underestimate the power of being the observer? Mm -hmm. You know, there is a psychologist called Albert Bandura. He is the lead researcher. Uh, most often associated with learning from through observation. Observation learning, if I could describe this for you, is the process of learning by watching others, retaining the information, and then later replicating the behaviours that were observed. Mm -hmm. For example, think about a child who may watch adults uh, waving at one another and then imitates them later on. Now, the, the tremendous amount of learning happens through this process just by observing. And so to your point where you say, what else can we do? We feel like we're just sitting there taking file <laughs> notes. But this is your journey as a grad. You're observing, you're taking the information on, you're watching the body language of the advisor from an experienced advisor. You've, you're also listening to the language that they use to build connection and rapport with the client. You also take on the way that they communicate. You know, the, it's, mm. the, the role we play as advisors and the skill we take on as advisors is the art of communication. I think of, for example, the different types of clients I have. Have you heard about the thinker, the feeler and the doer? I recently was told about that and I've been trying to think about that when meeting with clients. So for, for anyone who doesn't know, could you elaborate on what that is? Because it's a fascinating concept. Absolutely. So if you think, if if you observe a client that comes in, then think of it as a brand new client coming in. You mm -hmm. can read so much from their body language, from the, what they say and how they look. So a thinker would, would use words such as, you know, I think that that would be right. Or I, I, I think those numbers kind of add up. Or I, I, I see that I see what you're trying to say, but mm. I don't quite understand it. So that's yeah. someone who's a thinker. He's, he's the person who's constantly in their head and trying to kind of digest the information you're giving them. But they need numbers. So they need numbers. They need evidence. They need detail. That's the mm. thinker. Now the feeler is someone who might say something like, "Yeah, I feel that that's right." Oh, you know, in in my gut, I'm thinking, "Yeah, yeah." You don't mm -hmm. have to give me the details. I I don't really need the details. I'm going to go with what you're saying because I trust you. I trust mm -hmm. you. So that's someone who's a, who's a feeler. And if you and you for often not, you'll see that in a husband and wife. You know, when a husband and wife comes in, one of them might be a real detail person. Like, give me the details. I want to know how the, the markets work. What's, what does superannuation do? How much contribution can I make in? And what would happen if I did that over 10 years? Mm -hmm. And then the feeler would be, yeah, you know what? You understand me. You heard everything I had to say. You mm -hmm. understand what's important to me. You you actually remembered my kids' names. 
And um, I feel that you're really a good quality advisor. Mm. And that's feeler. Now the, the doer is going to be someone who's going to say, okay, at the end of this, what's, what's, my, what's my list? <laughs> Give me my list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very proactive clients. That's right. And they're the ones who, who want immediate action. And you've got to be at their pace and got to be able to deliver at the point that they want to be able to do, to do things. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really good to think of it through that framework. And I've been trying to analyze myself and say, oh, what, what am I? But I guess I guess we're all, you know, a blend of, of all of them, but we probably have some things, some particular points that correlate more with a thinker, feeler or a doer. So really, really like that exercise. And there are, of course, going to be instances where you you have said something and you maybe you've told the client the wrong information and you've had that realization and you're freaking out. And you think, oh gosh, what am I going to do now? I've, I've messed up. How do you deal with those mistakes that you might initially make um, as a new advisor or as someone who's meeting with clients for the first time? Yeah, I would, I would say I, I've been there myself. I've been there myself where I, I've made a mistake. And, and the reality is that we're all human. We do mm-hmm. make mistakes, in particular on the back of the, the Royal Commission, where the goalposts do change. And my encouragement to to anyone who's listening and, and young grads is just be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no no need to hide it. No need to, you know, we are in in a framework and environment where it's all about ethics. And ethics says it's about honesty. It's about integrity. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, making sure that you've you've recognised it and tried to to correct it. And that's that's what I would say to, to any grad. That don't be afraid to come to your supervisor or your manager and, and bring it bring it to the forefront. Because one of the other things too is that, you know, if you try and hide it, the other thing is that then you've got your, your negative self-talk mm. coming into, into play. And that negative self-talk would be something like, I can't believe I did that. What an idiot. How could I have I've forgotten that? Or I, how could I overlook it? Yeah. And coming back to it, the reality is that we're, we're all human and recognising that negative talk is just talk. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not the whole truth. Uh, and often approach it, and you often approach it with fear uh, and that you'll make another mistake. But mm-hmm. come back to what have I done wrong, owning the, owning the error and then moving forward with a solution. And that's what all clients and even any employers are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember one thing that my boss used to really appreciate is that if I had made a mistake, I would then try and think of what I think a good solution would be before I go and tell him. So I'll say, hey, I've done this. This is where I've gone wrong. I think this could be a potential solution to the problem. What do you think? And they'll even say, they'll either say, yep, I agree. Let's go and do that. Or they'll say, okay, well, let's look at it this way. That way you're not putting all of the burden back on the advisor to fix the problem for you necessarily. You're showing that you recognize your error and that you want to make amends to fix that. And I think, I think supervisors value that. And I echo that, you know, so we, um, no doubt, you know, if you step into a financial planning office, it's a busy office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got compliance, compliance, compliance. Yeah. And so to that end is, uh, I say this often, uh, uh, more often than not, come to me with the solutions, mm-hmm. not the problems. The problems we can fix together, but unless we come up with a solution, I can't be the only one who comes up with, with a solution. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
And then for a lot of people who are starting out in the industry, maybe they're not meeting with clients face-to-face just yet, but they're having phone interactions. And I know that a lot of people my age specifically maybe haven't had a lot of experience on the phones um, and find that quite nerve-wracking. So what are some tips in terms of improving your phone manner and appearing confident when talking to clients over the phone? Well, I'm going to throw it back at you, Zara, because <laughs> I'm thinking back to, to when I first started. And, and I think back also, by the way, to the times that I've gotten nervous and not and thought that I, I couldn't possibly sound professional enough. And this was the times that uh, uh, I started. I stepped in front of national TV, you know, in front of millions to, to mm-hmm. do a, a finance expert report, or I had to step up on the stage and speak to, you know, 400 uh, female advisors. And I'm looking out to out there and there's 400 sets of eyes looking back at me. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's Very felt daunting. that way. <laughs> but coming back to, to speaking professionally on the phone, I'm keen to hear your story as well. How did you how did you overcome that in the first instance? Yeah, I used to hate it. I used to avoid any opportunity to to call clients because I was just so nervous about it for some reason. But I found what really helped me was just preparation. So reading about the clients beforehand, reading the file notes, looking through their fact find, um, and then making a few pointers of what I'd like to say on the phone, having some notes there to refer back to. Um, And as soon as I have that, the phone calls were much easier because if they had any questions, I already had their information there. I knew what had been recently done and I wasn't going to forget any of the points I had to make because I jotted them down beforehand. And the more you do that, the less preparation you need over time. And I think that the more confident you sound over the phone. So I think that might be a good tip. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that. That's absolutely (laughs) on point because it comes back to exactly that. They, they, uh, They don't care how much you know unless they know you care and -hmm. if you care enough to have done the homework to find out what their problem is and by the way value is not value unless you're solving a problem for the client so each and every time you come to to make a phone call uh, make it uh, something of value now often Mm. not if if you listen to advisors a a 30-minute phone call (laughs) usually ends up to be 10 minutes talking about the issue and 20 minutes talking about the kids and how, yeah. you know how, what the weather was like you know how they're going and are they you know are they uh, booking in the the next trip and that's all about because you want the client to know that you care mm-hmm. and so coming back to my ABC framework again the first one is you know be curious so ask 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 and so to your point once you kind of build out a script what you've done is you've 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 come up with some bold ideas of what are those mm. pointers and you're going to you're going to present those bold ideas to your client and if they say oh yes that's not going to work for me and that's all yeah okay that sounds like a great solution it, this is a collaboration so they can mm. always come back and say no that sounds terrible let's not do that <laughs> you know yeah. and so the the c the a the c of the abc is demonstrate your credibility and demonstrate mm-hmm. your credibility through, through showing that you've done the homework, coming back to them with stories. Often not that I can't always use stories as just an analogy of, of showing them the value of what I've come up with. You know, mm-hmm. whether it is uh, the story of uh, my last client who did exactly the same thing as what I'm proposing, just gives them that, that comfort 
or if any young entrepreneurs that are coming on board as clients, I share my story of when I took a sabbatical after I sold out of my last business and mm-hmm. uh, and to celebrate 30 years of my husband and I you know, being together, we discovered 30 years uh, t- together. Dis- we dis- sorry, we discovered 30 destinations all around the world together as mm-hmm. part of that. And so clients mm-hmm. then relate to your stories mm-hmm. and, and, and demonstrating how you care in putting forward your most bold ideas. And it encourages them to open up too because they realise that you're you're another person. You're not just someone on the phone calling to gather some information. You you actually can connect with that person. So I definitely agree. Very valuable. I think for the most part, clients just don't want to be known as just another number. Yes. If sure. you want, if you want to be known as another number, you call any other your phone pl- <laughs> providers. <laughs> You'll be another number. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And another more modern issue that um, I think everyone deals with quite differently, and maybe it depends on where you work and what the culture is, but how do you approach email etiquette and coming across as professional in email interactions with clients? Yeah, look, if if you haven't sent a a, a professional email before, my encouragement to you is is to learn to do so. So what what that looks like is, you know, we, we live in a digital age, and you can get information anywhere on Google search. And for the most part, when I was younger, I had I I had the you know young executives that I call kind of my older brothers uh, who looked out for me. But I didn't necessarily have mentors. I wished I did because mm. I could call on my mentor to say, look, I've got this big project, or I've got something that I have to send off, or or could you could you send me through a recommendation of a book that I could read that would tell me how to be a great leader, or or, or even as simple as how do I send an email. Now, my shelf is filled with books. And mm-hmm. even uh, and as one of the, the books is how to write an effective letter and or email. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learned to, to, to write proper emails, to communicate, to also then be in a space where you can go really formal or you can be a little bit, bit casual. Mm-hmm. Now, I, might, I also confess I do use Grammarly if you've heard of Grammarly yeah great great tool definitely (laughs) that's a little software I'm sure that the young grads will know but what that also tells me is that is my email too formal or is my email too casual what I want what I want to do is to be able to to lend a a point in that email but also to make sure that once again coming back to a to one of the things I said there is to know to let the client know that I care I'm thinking of them but also what's important is I need to to action so there is another framework that that I use and that is the uh, the intro which is to connect the the point of uh, discussion which is the mm-hmm. main body and I, I tend to use a lot of dot points because for for mm-hmm. my clients that I that I work with they're small business owners so they're busy they want me to get to the point and all they really want to know, it's what's their call to action. And so I finish off with a call to action. Always tell them what they need to do. What is it? Why am I bothering them with an email? Yeah. So what is it that they need to do? And you'll find that if you, if you use that exact framework, you'll get the action that you require. Yeah, that's a great tip. So do you actually word it as call to action or do you just make sure that you include at the very end what they need to do next? That's right. What they need yeah. to do next. Yeah. So, so I'd frame it more, more like. Um, so, if you could, if you could 
sign this document in a wet signature by this date and return it back to me, etc. So be very clear on what the instructions are. Yeah, that's really handy. And one thing I like to do as well is because the business that I work in is primarily insurance-based. So often we're emailing client and we've got to ask them about uh, maybe their medical disclosures and there's five different things I need to ask them. So instead of writing a paragraph, I'll do what you do with dot points and I'll put headers. So the first header would be in bold and it would be um, back issues and then it would be mental health just to break it down so that client can scan over the email before they actually get stuck into reading it and kind of have an idea of what to expect. That's a really great point. The other tip too, and what I'm seeing more and more of, is within the subject line, uh, especially for insurance, I'm thinking this would be really relevant because I write articles for the West Australian, which is the uh, the WA newspaper here in Perth. Mm -hmm. But the we we use uh, word count in articles, but also you will find that when you go onto digital, it will tell you how many minutes the the, the, the article will read so it'll take you three that. minutes to read it'll take you five minutes to read so what I'm seeing more and more on emails is on this in the subject line it says for your attention and it will say two minute read or two yeah. it'll only take two minutes to to action this email that will give busy clients context as to why you're sending it to them what the what the important dot points are and what the call of to action is yeah, that's unconventional, but I know I'd really pre- appreciate that as a customer of other businesses, um, knowing upfront what the time investment is going to be, because sometimes you've got a spare five minutes to check your emails. Sometimes you don't have any time at all. So yeah, that's a really great idea. I love that idea. And then one of the final things I wanted to chat to you about, Fran, is just how do you deal with and correct negative self-talk? I know you've touched on that briefly already, um, but that can be a big issue for a lot of people coming into the industry. How do you recognize that when it happens and what can you do to overcome it? Uh, well, to, to it's something that we also just did not too long ago. So what we do here at Nexia Perth is we run a lunch and learn every month. And that's to also train young graduates to, to recognize this. It's what we call, you know, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And so it's so timely because we're talking exactly about negative <laughs> self-talk. And essentially what, what it says here is that self-talk is just talk. It's not the whole truth Um, and often approach things with fear that you'll make another mistake. But I just want to kind of run through what to do then. What to do then is to recognize that it is self-talk. So my self-talk starts off, this is an example I was looking at actually Mm -hmm. just the other day. Uh, And this is, I asked my, my grad what she thought of the session and what was her takeaways? And she says that this, my self-talk is, so as a grad, you're so new to this work environment, you have no experience. How can you possibly decide what someone else should do? Mm-hmm. And that's just self-talk, it's negative self-talk. But here's the counter uh, comment to it. The counter to that has been to remind herself that research shows Clients generally trust that advisors have the right knowledge, technical skills. The question they probably have is whether you as the advisor understands them, which Mm -hmm. goes back to what we talked about before, that collaboration as a team effort. Did you understand that client? And I think being curious, which once again is the ABC framework of firstly ask and be curious about that client. Mm -hmm. And being, being invested is getting 
a great solution for not only yourself as an individual that you no longer talk, have that negative self-talk, but also the client and also to build up your knowledge base around technical knowledge. Mm-hmm. I love that. So not only are you looking at it from another perspective, but you're also reframing that initial negative self-talk and thinking, well, what are the, the positive ways I could look at this instead? What are the, the different take? What's the different take I could have on this to help me get into a more positive mindset? I think that's really valuable. Well, the, the element, element, and I touched on it before, is that, you know, sometimes even as senior advisors, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think of uh, my two daughters who are tw- 23 and 21 and how they've become my teachers because they teach me about how the, the young generation think, feel or do, mm-hmm. how they, what their call to action is, what the their pain points are with regards to financial planning and how they digest information. And so as as business owners and advisors, we're constantly in that space of innovation, constantly curious as to how can we we be of service to more people? Mm -hmm. You know, as, as you would know, the wonderful thing about grads at this point in time is that there are, uh, there are more advisors exiting and less grads <laughs> coming into our profession. Yeah. So if anything, the, the, the negative self-talk will continue to be there. But my encouragement to you is find the right workplace, find the right mentor, find the right uh, training environment for you to, to thrive and soar in this space. Because just as I learned a lot from my 23 and 21-year-olds, similarly, I learned a lot from my grads. Absolutely. Another thing I'd add in there that really helped me when I was starting out with negative self-talk was when you get when you get positive feedback from clients, save that and come back to it later. So I'd get emails saying, oh, thank you, Azari. That was really helpful. You made that really clear and concise. That felt amazing. So I'd screenshot that and I actually had a little folder in my phone of all of the positive feedback I got from my clients. And oh, that was such a huge help. Whenever you're having a bad day, you'll feel like you've made a mistake. Go back and look at all the times that you've you've really helped clients and they've found a lot of value in your advice. So that's, a, I think that's a good one too. <laughs> Positive reinforcement. <laughs> it, it's what I, I refer to as sugar cubes because, mm. you know, when, you, when you've got negative self-talk, you're down you, and you need a, a, a sugar boost. And it's the sugar... The, the little uh, positive reinforcements is what I call sugar keeps. You dive into your sugar keeps, read a couple of them, go, yeah, okay, actually, yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> just a bad day. Yeah, exactly. You've got to put it into perspective sometimes. <laughs> awesome. And then the last thing I wanted to ask is, what's the importance of having a good mentor? So it's really great to get that positive feedback from your clients, but it's also really important to be getting that positive reinforcement from the people around you. Um, So what's the value of having a good mentor and how do you find um, a really good mentor who can help you build that confidence? Yeah, I I must say I'm on the uh, the other end. So I love being a mentor to mentees. So I actually posed this to, to my grad and asked her the question, what is the importance of having a good mentor? And this is her reply. She says, I think mentors can be very good at challenging the boundaries we set for ourselves, uh, which is often quite, you know, you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. as you start into, into this profession. And it's, so it's up to the mentors to kind of push your boundaries just a little bit, set you in a place of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And they're not seeing, and, and the mentors aren't seeing you through the lens of 
what you see yourself, which sometimes, and I love this part about, about mentoring grads and also working with clients, is that I, I love planning out goals that clients or, ment- or mentees can't see for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, I see opportunities for them beyond their own scope. And mm-hmm. the only reason why they're limiting their scope is because they don't know or they haven't seen it themselves. Yeah. And that's what a real good mentor will do for you is they'll push you, push your boundaries as far as where you're, you're comfortable and get you comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm. And, and as an individual and, and what we refer to as mastering not only your knowledge base also, but your skill set is this is what a mentor can see in you that you don't already see in yourself. Yeah, definitely. I've had that experience with really great mentors in the past and as terrifying as it can be to jump in the deep end and and maybe you don't see um, the potential that your mentor does see, it's really good to have someone backing you and they're always right eventually. They always know what you're capable of maybe before you do. So I totally agree. Really good to have that. Now, I know we talked a lot about, a lot that this afternoon, Azaria, but I'd like to pose a question for you, which I'm oh, curious sure. about. So as, as most graduates will, will come through university and not having worked in a busy financial planning office, I guess their first year or exposure to a financial planning office would be absolute chaos, or mm-hmm. should I say, put, put in the deep end and single swim. How did you manage that chaos in your first year as a grad? Oh, that's such a great question because I feel like the first year or even two years of my experience in the industry felt like chaos and I felt like I was constantly trying to prove myself because I was the least experienced and I was the youngest in the business. So I think for me, one thing that I think set me apart and really helped me establish some confidence in the workplace was if I could see something in the business that I thought could be improved or if I could had a different perspective as a young person that I thought could help the the business, I would always make that known. So although I was, you know, at the if there was a rank, I'd be at the bottom of the rank, I'd ask to join in on those staff meetings. I'd ask to join in the marketing meetings. If I could identify something, I'd speak up and, and mention that. For whatever reason, that really helped me felt, feel confident and it helped me feel valued in the business. And that translated through to everything, everything else. Um, and I think also just having a really good mentor, pushing yourself, even when it's uncomfortable, not hiding away from new challenges is the fastest way to grow. And that's something that in the last probably year or six months of actually having my own client meetings without anyone there, that's something that I was resisting for such a long time. And now that I'm doing it, it's it's second nature and it feels amazing. So I think just backing yourself and, and trusting that you've got the tools um, to be a, a great advisor or CSO or, or power planner, someone's hired you because they can see that experience and that um, potential and you should just believe in them if you can't believe in yourself yet. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great story. And, and I wish, that's exactly what I wish for, for all graduates is, is don't, um, try not to to get so overwhelmed by the chaos because that's just everyday offers. Yeah. See see beyond see beyond the chaos and back yourself. Um, also, you know, say yes and figure it out later. So if mm-hmm. someone's asked you to do something, just say yes 
and then be curious and go and find out how, how do I how do I get to the bottom of this whatever that task is whether it is to be on a new brainstorming committee or whether it is to be a part of the FPA uh, student committee which is which mm -hmm. has been your journey I mean going from student student of the year in 2017 right through to being part of the 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 professional professionals um, uh, committee and mm -hmm. I've, I've found also my journey as uh, as the chapter committee member right through to chapter chair right through to uh, future to ambassador it's just saying yes and figuring yeah. out later the opportunities will come once you say yes Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. That's a great advice, not only for your career, but for life in general. Just say yes. If you think too much about it, you'll scare yourself out of it. So just say yes and you'll get there. Awesome advice. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> awesome. Well, Fran, thank you so much for this chat. I feel like I've got so much out of it personally, and I think it's going to be really helpful to those who are listening. If anyone wants to reach out to you or find out a bit more about you, where can they connect? Yeah, I would love for them to to follow me on any of the socials, whether it's on LinkedIn. Uh, on LinkedIn, I've also got female advisors group uh, community, so supporting other female advisors in the in the space. And then I'm on, also on Instagram and on Facebook, but more often not you'll see me on LinkedIn. So do connect with me. I'd love to hear how how you're going and follow your success. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you so much, friend, and I look forward to hopefully chatting you again in the future. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. For great resources and a free student membership, find us at fpa.com.au. Good advice makes for great futures.